Hello and welcome to season 11 of the podcast formerly known as The Hive. Now in its fifth year, I decided to rename the show Natalie Nahai in Conversation, and you'll notice from the cover art that the design has also changed. If you missed the teaser, I'd love to bring you up to speed and share a few behind the scenes insights with you here. Having woven together a whole variety of topics and guests over the past five years, I wanted to centre upon a visual identity that connects into our ongoing exploration of what it means to be human in search of connection and meaning within the wider web of life. The hand on the cover is actually a part of a larger oil painting I created called Light in the Well of Shadows, and the tiny bee you'll see is a painting I created specifically for this project as a little nod to the hive. If you'd like to see these paintings in full, you can head over to my Instagram account, at Natalie Nahai. As we dive into this new season, we'll be deepening our inquiry into our relationship with one another, with technology and the living world, and how we might reimagine humanity in the face of accelerating technological advancement, ecological disruption and systemic change. I'll be speaking with people at the leading edge of everything from syntropic and regenerative agriculture viticulture and biodiversity, and artificial intelligence, to folks working at the intersection of technology and law, organisational resilience, personal transformation, leadership, and much more. As we go along, I'll be adding relevant books and resources to a dedicated page on my website, which you can check out at natalienahai.com forward slash resources. And alongside this audio version of the podcast, you can also watch the video version over on my YouTube channel, where I'll be posting additional bonus content with my guests. I'll include all the links in my show notes. I hope you find this season uplifting and useful, and if you have any questions or suggestions for future guests or themes, you can reach out to me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Natalie Nahai. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the journey. I'm kicking off the season in perhaps an unexpected place, starting in conversation with someone whose resilience, determination and skill enabled her to overcome extraordinary odds to lead a flourishing life in which she now dedicates her time to empowering others. Meet Amy Hopper, an executive coach, digital marketer and founder of TOA, who is also fondly known as the Digital Wolverine, a particularly curious name which we'll be hearing about later. Having graduated at the top of her class in her sociology BA, specialising in mental health, alienation in the workplace, and the sociology of work, Amy founded her first business at 25, the digital marketing agency AM Marketing. At 26, she was hit by a dangerous driver and suffered permanent spine damage, PTSD, anxiety, and chronic pain for the next five years. By age 28, her company was named one of the Google Top 30 UK agencies, and at 29, she received the Amazon Triumph Over Adversity Award. At 30, she won the UK Digital Role Model of the Year, and at 31, she underwent a spinal fusion surgery and was wheelchair-bound, shortly after which she became widowed during lockdown. At 33, she decided to sell her business and after a gruelling, touching journey back to health, she was able to travel the world solo at 33, hiking over 600 kilometres in over 8 countries and 26 cities. Upon her return, she founded her agency, TOA, and she is now working with some of the world's largest companies to remove well-being barriers producing high-performing teams. I first met Amy through our mutual friend, Richard Savage, who told me that I simply had to meet this extraordinary woman, and he wasn't wrong. You'll tell from our laughter and energy that we were excited to be in conversation together, and while the video didn't work out due to technical issues at my end, I hope you'll enjoy this moving conversation in which we explore tenderness, loss, resilience, and how the simple steps can be the ones that help us to transform adversity into growth. Amy, welcome. I'm very excited that you're the one with whom I am kicking off this new take. Before we move into the theme of this season, I want to ask you, what do you think is going on in the global human psyche, if we can use that frame? Oh, oh my gosh. What a question. 
Well, from my perspective, in terms of what what I'm work, what I'm working on now and who I work with, what's going on in the global psyche right now is is a lot of unrest. A, a lot of a lot of foundations have been shaken. Um, a huge amount of anxiety and a lot of people that are lost. Mm. I'd say lost is the word. Not and perhaps not knowing their their place anymore, um, given what we've all been through in the last few years. And do you think a lot of that is to do with not digesting, perhaps, um, I'm, my, probably I'm projecting here, but not digesting perhaps on a more kind of cultural level the amount of shit that we've been through and there's sort of this, suddenly the, you know, the 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 who have kind of let it drift away as opposed to a markation saying the pandemic's over and let's talk about what happened. Like there doesn't seem to be much closure. Or do you think that's to do, like that's maybe one part of it and it's to do with other factors? I think that's a huge part of it. There there hasn't been this closure. There's sort of been a, we were, I think during the pandemic, we were, I want to say guided, but almost pushed through every step. Mm. And you said, well, you're doing this now, you're doing this now, you're doing this now. And then all of a sudden we're out of lockdown and that's it. Get on with it. Yeah. And it it really didn't um, it, it it didn't give give any sort of acknowledgement in in my mind to to what an entire world went through. Yeah. And and the mental health issues, the implications that come along with that, whether it was anxiety going back into work. Um, whether it was people's livelihoods that were destroyed, people that lost their lives, mm-hmm. and just just something. Oh yes, it's 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 done now. Well, back to the office you go. Yeah, it seems to be the the way that a lot of my clients are are feeling, and that that shakes a person. Mm-hmm. It really does. And I think also that thing of back to the office you go. It's really the sense of business being the priority after everything that we went through and the glimpses of a a different way of maybe relating and prioritizing and that suddenly now it's almost like and I don't know how it's been for you but I've definitely noticed this year in particular this extreme acceleration I don't know how much of it is to do with also kind of all the news around AI automation and that a lot of things that have been cooking for a long time have suddenly come out the oven it's like right iteration one iteration two iteration three keep up you know this kind of this sense of um, not just urgency, but precarity that, you know, gone now is COVID. There's something new to, to freak out about. Um, yeah. How are you finding people coping in your coaching practice? Are people coping? Um, I, it depends on the industry. The majority of people I'd say actually aren't. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing I try and do in the coaching and also in the workshops is actually sit down and everyone admit that to each other, <laughs> because that's kind of the, the, the key thing is that if we if we keep in our separate lives, then then we, we don't have this sort of shared empathy. I, I'd say, yeah, AI, a uh, huge thing. People very, there's this, this sort of sense. I said this at a, a speaking event a few years ago, that you, this sense that you're going to go to sleep uh, an expert and wake up a novice. And that, it, it, the idea of that, the idea that you have to be, keep going and going and going, this sort of keep up or give up, yeah. it, 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 it's not conducive for productive, happy um, people or, or work. And I'd also say that coming back into the workplace, as you quite rightly said, there is this sense of, well, you've, you've, we're back into the office now. And it used to be, oh, no, well, we've, we've, proven that an entire world and many many industries can work from home effectively we did it for over a year but now oh no it's got to be hybrid working and oh no no you have to come into the office now Mm. just a couple of years a couple of years later so I'm finding in my work that actually a lot of companies are wanting to teach things like empathy within work and and teach uh, collective well-being because we've almost had so much time apart from from each other is thinking in our lane in our office in our home and not seeing anyone mm. uh, this this idea that there's someone a human behind an email is has almost become a bit foreign yeah there's that kind of detachment almost that's crept yeah. in yeah 
Exactly. And, and we know it's just hundreds and hundreds of studies that empathy is, is empathy is a business skill. And uh, not only is it a business skill, but it's hugely, hugely necessary, no matter what your organization, the size of your team, for managers and uh, C-suite directors and managing people, empathy is, is probably, I'd say, the key skill if you're going to have a successful team and a, and a successful business full of productive, happy people. Mm. Okay, so so much more I want to ask you, but one question that comes to my mind, and maybe I'll even this question to all of the subsequent episodes because I quite like it. I've done it like the Flourishing Futures Salon and it always kind of yields some interesting answers, which is what does success mean to you? Mm. As someone who works at the intersection of well-being, empathy, you know, C-suite, executive coach, like that whole world alongside all the other stuff that you do. Mm. Um, well, a good, I suppose a good question is what did success used to look like? Yeah. Okay, let's start there. <laughs> Um, and I, I grew up in a, in, in, as many people do in choir, I had very, very good education, a school that pushed university, that pushed, um, sporting achievement, academic achievement, then getting a good job, then getting the good salary, Mm. you know, a higher level, higher salary. That was what success was. And um, it's only through my experiences and going through just a huge amount of trauma in the last few years and being in a situation where I genuinely thought I was going to lose my life Mm. that actually completely reframed how I viewed success and what it actually was. And for me, success is now waking up every day happy and glad for the day, Mm. grateful for the day and going to bed thinking you know what what a, what a great day that was or uh, just being able to have this this sense of well-being and contentment um and it's only since when I when I was chasing constantly chasing this is what I see with with the people I coach all the time just this chase there's always a chase and when you get that thing when they get that thing then they're chasing something else and they don't even smell stop to smell the roses it's just next thing next thing more money more more promotion blah 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 and everything is based on external validation, Hmm. whether that be in relationships, whether that be at work, it's all external validation and material things, which might produce some form of happiness or contentment for a while, but it doesn't last. Hmm. So it's really the inner work that produces that, that contentment. And I have to say, I've been in positions where I've lost absolutely everything, as, as you know, a few years ago, and actually been felt contentment and felt more contentment than I did when I, my business was was flying and making six figures wow. mm. it's curious it, re- it reminds me of um I, I'm not one for remembering <laughs> quotes or anything like that but there was this beautiful uh talk by Alan Watts I listened to years ago which really struck me which is about the idea that life isn't just about the climax about the kind of the last bar if you think about it as a score of music or a beautiful piece you don't go to a concert to just listen to the final chord. You go to listen to the whole thing and you dance to it if you're lucky, if you're somewhere where you can move. And he talks about life in that way, that it wasn't about the final thing. It was about enjoying it as an opus, as, as a work that you enjoy, that you engage in. And there's something so beautiful about that. Um, and the fact that it's kind of that uh, that constant striving and restlessness and lack that means that even if we've got what we think we need, beyond obviously basic needs and security and the rest of it and living a life of dignity it might not fill that void because the void can't be filled with outside stuff um but so I wonder if you might be comfortable talking a little bit about you know what it what it does mean for you to have lost Mm. perhaps almost everything and how that's shifted your perspective and sense of life and what matters to you and how it's informed who you are now and within the frame of kind of resilience and adaptation, which is the key theme, some of the key themes for this season. Exactly. So, um, I mean, I, I went into the job market quite young. I think when, when most of my friends were still either traveling or, or (laughs) pissing about behind bike sheds. (laughs) I was 25 when I started a marketing agency. (laughs) that's, That's still astounding to me. Yeah, um, and um, but when I was 26, I was involved in a in a high speed car collision, 
a woman went into my lane and she she hit me head on. I went through a brick wall. Um, I resulted in permanent spine damage. At the time, I couldn't feel my legs, and I thought genuinely thought that was it. And I can remember, yeah, it was. I, I can remember pulling myself from the wreckage, and it was in the middle of December, lying on the cold hard ground, like right next to the car engine, and just thinking, I'm done. Wow. That, like I'm, I'm done and um there I could hear helicopters sirens all around me um there like there was a doctor in the in one of the queues that were a few cars behind she was she was te- checking me for internal bleeding and you and I have to in that moment when you genuinely think that that's it for you you don't think oh I'm really glad I got that that 10k bonus or um, I'm really glad that I I worked late last week and got that report done you think about your friends and you think about your family you think about the time you spent with them and you think about how you want more Mm. and that's it yeah and I thought to myself at that moment like that that is actually I'm very grateful for that moment because I think it's something a, a, a really great coach said to me, like you've sort of come to the point in your life where almost people get to in their in their 60s mm. when they might have overcome cancer or they might have overcome a, 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 a heart attack or a stroke or and they sort of start thinking, okay, well, I'm going to start living my life now, but I've had this at 26. So it's almost a, a bit of a gift really. Well, I like to see it now. <laughs> Looking back in hindsight, yeah. I see it's a bit of a gift, but... Um, it resulted in in five years of of chronic pain. Um, I had to have like several spinal surgeries and just I, I, and my back would go into spasm every sort of eight weeks, and I wouldn't be able to move for a few days. I couldn't sit down for more than half an hour. And I'm, I'm one year into my business at this point, um, but wow. still got to the point where it was we we were named one of the top thirty Google agencies in the UK. At 33,000 agencies, it's just nuts. <laughs> um, we like won like global accounts, like some of the, the biggest digital accounts in in the world. We were just this lovely little team of five at one point, and just with offices in Canterbury. But we went from second bedroom to third floor offices in a city centre within, um, I think it was less than a year. It was, just, it was crazy. Um, it's because we just yeah. put so much effort on relationships and I learned the power of saying no because I was in pain. Because hmm. I was in pain. If I said yes to things, all th- I would be in pain. So I only picked the things I really, really wanted to do and knew that would put the business in the right direction. And that's that's what we did. Um, but, yeah, it, it ended up resulting in, in the December 2019, I had to have a, a spinal fusion. So I'm part titanium now. Someone on LinkedIn called me the digital Wolverine, and now it's just stuck. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, (laughs) which is amazing. Um, But then, of course, we went into COVID. We went into COVID, went to lockdown. All my physiotherapy was cancelled. I had to do my own physical therapy, physiotherapy from YouTube videos online, Um, and I was in a wheelchair. I was in a wheelchair while my parents cared for me, and I just I couldn't bend, I couldn't twist. I was in like I blacked out with pain regularly it was it was just yeah I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy um and then very very sadly um in the in the while we're in lockdown and a couple months after my spinal fusion my business partner and um husband uh, took his own life so he's definitely one of the the well <laughs> COVID obviously had a lot to to contribute to that but being in this position of I've lost I've lost my body and my and my partner and threatened to to lose my house. I'm living with my parents. I can't I can barely walk and just in this very very humbling position of utter surrender. And it just shows you that it doesn't matter what work and how many hours you work how many like 60 70 hour weeks I did how many bank holidays I worked some you can still be in a position where you lose it all 
Um, but I started thinking, you know what, I, I'm going to think about what I can do, not what I can't do. So, um, and I was, I was at that point, I've been the subject of honestly the most wonderful, beautiful experiences of human kindness. I mean, there's so many things in the world that, that make that that they say on the news and make you think, oh, humans are awful, but actually, you know what, humans are bloody wonderful. And I've had acquaintances that have turned into friends and the way I was, perhaps it was because also because we were in lockdown and everyone Mm. just had had nothing else to do but (laughs) be nice and message me every day, but um, just constant messages every day and um, acquaintances that are now dear friends. And people, the, the way that they just held me, even though we couldn't touch, like I have to say, even though we couldn't touch each other, grieving is 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 a horrible thing. To, to be one side of the room and your friend's the other side of the room and you're both crying and you can't hold each other is, is I can't describe it. But to have the the walks, um, walks with each other. And I went out on a walk with a different person every day. Someone, someone turned up and walked with me every single day. And it really stopped helping that, that processing and also helped then start rebuild my body. And it got to a point where people started saying, you know, how, how are you doing this? How, how are you still here? How are you still kind? How are you still smiling? And I, and there's the, I suppose the, the, the British, oh, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> you just get on with it and carry on. And I realised that that wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't actually true, that I had developed in my own mind a very specific system for, for coping and for dealing and, and to achieve my goals throughout all of these challenges and everything that I was going through. I was going through trauma therapy. I was having uh, like four or five hours of therapy a day some days in the early days. I was on diazepam and citalopram. Um, It was very, very, very difficult time. Some days just getting up and having a shower was a a triumph, which you have to be kind and think, you know what, that was a triumph. But I realised I had developed this system and I read every single self-help guide in the library. I had previously been to the yoga ashrams. I had taken the supplements. I'd had chronic pain for six years and, and studied and, my actual background is in sociology and alienation within the workplace. And I was able to draw my degree and, and use the psychology training. And, and the, you know, I, I've actually got a program that I've developed for myself that is, that is pushing me forward and I'm achieving these goals, albeit slowly through the most horrific trauma. I've turned my wounds into wisdom. And that's why I then founded TOA because I want people that are going, whether they are going through a broken spine or a broken toe, or it could be that they just want a promotion or they just want help and support while they are, while they're managing their business. TOA is a system that I want to give people that wisdom without having the, the wounds that I've had beforehand. Well, thank you for being so candid. I can't imagine it's, um, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, and I don't imagine it's an easy thing to talk mm. about um, or an easy, an easy thing to let land either, because I think we, we um, I definitely no, notice this in myself. Uh, when I feel like I have more capacity to feel, I can feel more from other people and it can be quite challenging not to shut down. And one of the things you mentioned at the beginning of describing what you've experienced mm. was surrender. And then also with surrender comes a giving up of yeah. control and then whether you collapse or you somehow find, I'm, I, I'm curious how you would describe this, but for me it's like that. There's this, um, a song that I write called The Brightest Star and it's the one line in it is, uh, and in the darkest moment that's when the brightest star begins to shine and it's a sense of when everything else goes black, there's a point of light somewhere that you have to orient towards. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it means someone else lifting your gaze to that star until you keep fixated and find your way through and I'm curious how you how you found that point of connection back to life when it was so so, painful um the the people was the the biggest 
the biggest thing, having that, that support around me. I think it did help that we were in lockdown because it's like the whole world had stopped with me. It's like I, I think a lot of people describing grief, particularly when losing partners or losing someone to suicide, which is like grief turned up to 10, they describe it as. Um, it's almost the sense of you're still while everything else is moving, whereas there was very much a sense of everything is still with me. So there was no, I didn't feel this need to to catch up quicker than I than I, than was right for me, because no, there was no catching up to do. Um, having the goal, a goal, was incredibly important to me. For me, it was about being able to hike again because I loved hiking so so much, and it brought me so much joy. And when I had like horrific PTSD, I went and visited the Lake District for a week, and it actually cured some of the physical symptoms I was having just being around, yeah just being around nature and sitting in woodland and so that was my goal for me and it was every day okay well I can't I can't walk I can't hike can I walk to the end of my parents driving back and tomorrow can I walk oh I can walk to the end of that that street lamp and back and those tiny tiny little increments every single day and being kind to myself and, and after a year looking back and thinking oh I've I've run a marathon just just with one step a day and having that patience and kindness was was really really key and, and having having a goal but splitting that goal down to make it smaller and it's when you've said about the surrender that that can be truer and I find that actually it's it's our it's our obsession with an outcome or certain type of outcome that actually causes a lot of us so much pain and a lot of our anguish and a lot of our our, our mental anguish. It's this, I, this is something that's going to happen and this is how I want it to turn out and, and being actually thinking now, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is, this is what I would like to happen. This is what I'm moving towards. This is my goal, my affirmation for myself but not being attached to an to an outcome, to a specific outcome. Hmm. Easy said very, done, huh? I mean, people <laughs> may be saying to me, whatever, Amy, that's a load of BS. <laughs> I, I, I'm obviously not some sort of guru here that, 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 that isn't attached to anything that's ridiculous. But certainly it helps <laughs> me to remind myself in those moments and also reminds me that, Amy, you've you've been in a position where you have lost everything and and built yourself back up again. So what what failure, what what thing could the universe possibly give you right now, Touchwood, that 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 you wouldn't be able to come back from? And that's quite a powerful place to be. It's quite a it, it does it does make you realise that actually if you take each each step as a learning opportunity and an opportunity for growth um, rather than seeing everything as a failure, reframing it like that does have a massive impact on, on the way, the way you look at challenges. I think it's interesting that one of the things that I notice, and especially in the last month I've had direct experience of is that, as you mentioned, when you, when you get hit physically um, or emotionally by loss or grief, something that that just knocks you something that knocks you so far that you're forced in some ways to reevaluate mm. how you're living in my mind it's 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 a lot how do I want to say it? it's like it's almost but not always inescapable that you'll think about the deepest questions like you mentioned when you're when you're on that sort of knife edge of life and death you're not thinking about the hours that you pulled last week you're thinking about your loved ones and the yeah. things that really that you love um and it's almost unavoidable I would guess from what I've read from people from what you shared and I think there's something as much as we hope that we never have to reach that critical point or that it happens out of the blue there's the other side of it which is I think many of us I suspect many of us don't realize on a day-to-day basis how much we are living with a low level ambient sense of pushing self-denigration critical voice where because we've lived with it for so long and the thought patterns are just there 
we don't necessarily even notice them unless something makes us aware. Mm. And I think there's an interesting question around, you know, people talk a lot about trauma these days, which is amazing because I think it's really useful. But also, you know, what is it, what does it mean for us to be living with this kind of muted but almost constantly present criticism, goal orientation, kind of productivity script of you are only worthy if, you will be happy when, all of these sorts of things. Um, how can we move to a position where we perhaps can turn up the clarity and volume on these voices, on these shadow voices, I think of them as shadows, to be able to meet them and say, oh, fuck me, this is actually what's going on inside my heart and mind, my system, yeah. to then be able to choose to relate with them differently so that it doesn't take, hopefully, a knocked sideways experience to be able to kind of show up to life in a fuller, more heartfelt yeah, way. Absolutely. And you put that beautifully, by the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot. I had a, I had a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful EMDR therapist. I don't know if you've heard of EMDR. Mm. EMDR is an amazing therapy, fantastic for PTSD. I've had several sessions of it. I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, Can you explain what EMDR stands for and what it means? Because not everyone will be... Oh, right. I always forget. It's like a mental block. I forget what it stands for. I'll give it... I can jump in. I think it's something like um, eye movement desensitization reprogramming. Essentially, you are performing bilateral stimulation. So for me, tapping works. Some people, it's a sound from one side to the other. Um, But you're almost simulating a REM cycle as you recall the trauma again and again and again and again. Which sounds awful, but it's actually not as bad in the moment, necessarily. I mean, it's like the first seven weeks, you have to do a 12-week course. It's like antibiotics. You have to you have to complete it because you're opening that door and you need to make sure that you deal with it and then the door is shut kindly again. Um, well, yeah. not shut, but you, you have to process what, what comes out and not leave it. Um, so essentially when you are, when you're processing, you're, you're almost not tricking, but you are saying to your brain, I'm taking this trauma and I'm processing this as memory now. This is whereas trauma is at the front of the mind. It's very visceral. It it, it appears and creates physical symptoms um, with, within the here and now. It takes us back to that moment as they were there. Whereas with memory, we look at so like it again, again. Whereas with memory, you might think, well, that's a terrible, terrible memory, but it's it's a memory, and we almost separated it from it because it's in the past. So that's that's what EMDR does, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. So I had an EMDR therapist who said to me, um, you know, Amy, you don't have to be traumatised in order to have trauma. Hmm. So we sort of have this idea that the word trauma, which in, in itself is, is quite a visceral word, um, that you yeah. almost have to be this this sort of crumbling wreck that is that is traumatised. And that's the and, well, actually all of us have trauma. All of us have trauma from our different relationships, experiences, um, our childhoods, which we then carry with us and influence how we speak to people, our reactions, how we get triggered in in everyday life, whether that be at work or at home. So um, when we're thinking about, well, for for me, when I was thinking about dealing with that and and processing those, those emotions, when things like grief come up or it comes up I, if I have an inner critical voice that comes up rather than thinking oh I'm not going to think about that or or letting it flow I actually sit down and tackle it almost like sit down with myself and say okay well what is this voice and where does it come from why do we think this about ourselves and normally I'll like the exercises that we've we've done together like sit down and actually write down that thought and and think yeah. well, okay well what's the evidence for this what's the evidence against this would I say this to my friend normally no <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. there's normally a reason behind it so say for example women a classic one is something about uh, our, our physical bodies something that we're not happy about in, in our physical bodies and in my if I ever catch those sort of thoughts myself I say hang on a minute like why are we what why are you thinking that about yourself sit down and realise that actually it's probably come from someone that said something many, many, many years ago, something in my past or a partner or family member that, that said something at some point or something that has been pushed upon me by by the media and, and absorption of things I see online. 
and realize that it's not actually my thought at all. Um, and it takes a lot of kindness, a lot of a lot of self-awareness, a lot of being able to step back from from your own thinking and think about your own thinking, something we call DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. And um, it, it takes a lot of work to, to sit and do that. But after a while, you start to form a habit. And after a while of, of waking up every morning and practicing gratitude and looking at myself in the mirror and bigging myself up, your, your brain gets on board and then it takes so yeah, that practice. practice. It takes about three months, 90 days to form a habit. So after that, you should really like just sitting down in front of the mirror and saying positive affirmations to yourself. After that time, you do start to believe it. And then it, it, it does change. Something changes in you. It's funny, as you mentioned that, I can feel myself on various levels having different responses one of them is like wincing just going oh my god can I imagine doing that um another one is what a twat I would feel like <laughs> and another also is like the sense of expansion and what happens if I do it you know we know from um the literature that when you want to think differently you have often it's the sense that you have to create the behavior first for yeah. the mind to follow and often we put the cart before the horse and we think we have to think differently for the behaviors to follow and weirdly it's kind of like it's almost like playing the role until you fully inhabit it or it fully inhabits yeah. you somehow that it's not a faking it until you're making it it's, it's literally like practicing driving the car so that you become the driver um and there isn't a faking to it it's literally just getting comfortable in that space um, well, the thing I say to my clients is that yeah. actually the the thought of you saying oh I don't know I, I don't one one thought sometimes I've had oh I don't like my belly that was the thought that I had. Yeah. Classic, classic, classic thought that we've all had. Um, I didn't. I was born with that thought. I was. No, I probably didn't have that thought until I was a teenager, and someone put it mm. in, or something put it in, and then I learnt that thought. So I can quite easily unlearn it. It's tricky, isn't it? Because there's a kind of there's also the thing as an adult, you can reparent yourself, but also you're kind of aware of all the inputs, kind of careening towards you and again it's this ambient thing where often we're not aware of all of the different inputs and thank goodness because mm. it would be overwhelming but there is that sense of having to and maybe this is where the habit forming comes in it's like creating almost a filter intentionally so that you can more easily train yourself at an implicit level what to pay attention to or what not to because otherwise it's just it's so difficult um and I think part of that, maybe this is a good time to talk about perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So part of that, I think, also is relinquishing the need to control or attempt, because how much could you, can you actually control? I mean, we control to an, 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 a degree, I think. The need to control or direct or influence how other people perceive us. And I'm not saying, like, show up to work and let it all hang out, because we know that that also is not <laughs> necessarily <laughs> the best path forward if you want to lead a flourishing life. But there is something around finding that kind of balance point where, you know, I'm doing this right now and I was thinking about this with the, the Patreon stuff. We'll see if this comes to fruition or not. Um, or doing videos on LinkedIn, which I hate doing because I feel like I have to do hair and makeup and I've got a professional, you know, image to uphold and all the rest of it. Um, or to wield my words and intellect in a certain way so that I'm less prone to being cut down like all of this stuff that we tell ourselves for which generally at some point there's been evidence for or suggestions of this might happen if you do xyz and there's kind of that leap that you have to make which I'm trying to do now um in no small part thanks to you where you kind of just go yeah I'm about to say that <laughs> I just yeah. about to say that but didn't like can I swear on this <laughs> no you, you can totally we've got the explicit marking on it just so that we can speak more free like freely I like my salty language. But there is that kind of, and that was one of the best mantras when I was writing the first book. It was like, who am I to write this book? And I thought, fuck it, why not? And coming back to that mantra, and some people would balk at the idea of it being a mantra, um, can really just free yeah. you up a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I, I think we've, yeah. we've coming back to your first point, we've, we've uh, and what I'm seeing a lot with a lot of my clients is we've lost this connection with our intuition. Huh. And this because and a, and a lot of us are on our phones a lot and we're constantly sort of de detaching ourselves from our own feelings and our own emotions 
that doesn't make them l less there. If anything, it actually makes them worse and makes them louder. So mm. having that, that connection with our intuition and also our bodies, so like that, and being if we're around someone that is, that is giving us those thoughts or, or making us feel that way, being able to feel that in your body, whether it's in your stomach or your chest or sometimes think sometimes it can be in your head. You know, I'm, I don't mm. I don't like how this person makes my body feel. It's normally a really good indication that actually the words that they're saying and, and the energy that they're providing is is not conducive with your growth and your and what you want want to achieve. Um, and you say, that, oh, we just I, I've just got a good feeling about this person. That's that's your intuition. And people, should, I think people should be more uh, more receptive to following that. It's interesting, like the intuition piece. I was talking about this with Freddie, my partner, yesterday, and he showed me a clip of Caroline Miss, who's like a, I think she's an American mm. writer, some people. I, my mum my really likes her. I'm not particularly familiar with her work, but there was this really compelling, I found it compelling, description she gave of intuition, because you often think of it, intuition as one aspect of, you know, when you have like that good connection, that good rapport. Yeah. And that's one example of when intuition really flows and there's that connection and then it can flourish into something beautiful. And she also said something else which was really interesting because I've not heard it described in this way and I'm going to paraphrase here. It was something around intuition also being that kind of persistent thrum in the belly of something needing your attention and there's courage required to listen to it. Mm -hmm. it's like That's really interesting. So for instance, you know, feeling like, you want to make a change in your life. You're talking about helping clients make changes that maybe are going against the script of what we should be doing, what success should look like in inverted commas. And yet there's something that will not let them go. There's a desire to pursue something, to take a risk, to grow, to go beyond one's threshold of what one knows perhaps. And she made that point. It was like, this is something that at some level you feel you can't ignore. And it's not just about the good feelings which are included in the mix. It's also about that discomfort of this idea won't let me go. There's something to be explored yeah. here. Um, I wonder what you, what you I think feel that's, about no, that. I think that's a really good point. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that, as, as well is that when you, you're just saying that about positive and negative emotions, I don't believe there are positive and negative emotions. We've, we've, there are just emotions. Mm. And we've attributed almost like, we've attributed judgment onto different emotions based on uh, their perception in society, like anger. Anger is, is oh. judged as a really negative emotion, particularly, I think, for, um, for, for women. We're afraid of being labelled as hysterical or, or a bitch or whatever, and, or anger is seen as, as aggressive um, or, or uh, yeah, too, too, too over-masculine. But actually, anger is a really, really positive emotion. It, it allows us to, sh it shows us when our boundaries have been crossed. It shows us when someone has um, stepped on, on our core values or where it's time to set a boundary and, and move forward on more, on more positive terms. And um, jealousy is even a, some, a positive emotion to, to observe because it shows us desire. And shows us where, okay, well, maybe that if I'm feeling just about that, this is something that I that I want, that this is a possible direction that I should be that I should be thinking about traveling in. So um, reframing emotions as, as that is 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 really really important. I really really like the piece about this. Oh, it's a nagging feeling that that won't let go. When mm. when I'm dealing with my clients that that are looking to grow or looking to go into another industry or want to start a different business or they've got a different, I normally attribute like um, the, this feeling of of they're scared about it but they're also excited. Yeah. And there's this sort of like oh I don't and that to me is a great sign that you're about to step into new growth and you're about to expand your comfort zone. If it's something that you're very, very fearful of and the only emotion there is sort of fear, anger, um, perhaps resentment, jealousy, then, then you think, okay, well, that could be something else. But when there's excitement and op opportunity and, and but also a little bit of fear, that for me is a great uh, indicator of, okay, well, let, let's step in. And, and see where this goes. So let's talk about that before I go to the closing questions. The closing question I have for this conversation is around how we can 
how we can recognize when that sense of trepidation and excitement is happening because it shows up in different ways. Uh, and I think often we can fear that change is going to be harmful because we don't know it yet. This is kind of sense of maybe we have um, financial obligations, professional, psychological, like, you know, I've built my life into this one role and psychologically I don't feel willing yet to let it go, whatever it might be. Um, and this is something that I think maybe if we're lucky and we have the chance to change in our lives, we can touch on at various different points. So it's more of a kind of process thing than a one size fits all. Here's your solution. You only have to do it once yeah. and on you go. Um, <laughs> But so for folks listening to this thinking, oh, actually, this sounds like I might be in that zone, mm. if you like. What would you offer as advice for inquiring into that? Okay. I think, first of all, you're completely right. I'm not suggesting that we all just uh, <laughs> we all just go with the flow and follow our emotions, regardless of our responsibilities. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, because obviously we have to... We have to be practical as well, and not not just uh, live in, in that in that state. I think um, what you're just describing as well is, is being able to tell the difference between ones in like intuition and anxiety, because sometimes, particularly if you're just stepping onto the sort of the self the self awareness train for the first time, intuition and anxiety can can actually it's very hard to see how they're different voices. And even now I get very, I have to really sometimes think about, okay, is this, is this, is this an intuition voice or is this an anxious voice of a, of a mind that's trying to protect me based on a past event that is projecting into the future and isn't related to, to this event. Um, for me, my, for me personally and for a lot of my clients, I found that this sort of the anxiety voice, it's normally, it normally is attributed to um, negative words negative connotations and it's normally very loud it's at the forefront of your mind um it doesn't it's it says things that don't seem to be like they're helping you grow and there's normally a time attached to it as well like i should be doing this or i why can't i do this now and you need to do this now or if you if you don't do this then this and then that that's what my 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 anxious voice sounds like my intuition is generally much more calmer interesting it says things that it's sort of in the background just as a nice sort of supportive voice and this would be wonderful this makes us excited and it normally attributed with with words of affirmations or, or things that are going to help grow it's normally much more moderated and unbiased and it sounds like the quality of it is less fraught or yes urgent, less fraught perhaps? less urgent much more of a or like a a gentle guide in hand rather than the shove in the back. What I would say is that what helps is getting it down on paper because we can mull these things over, over and over again in our heads. And for me, I, I'm really, when I'm in this position, I like journaling or, or making a board of pictures and drawing and actually writing down, okay, what what is this thought? Does this make me happy? Can I do this? And actually looking at the practicalities yeah. of it and getting all of my thoughts down on paper so that I can just look at them in front of me. Um, that makes it, the, the practice a lot, lot easier and helps me sort out through um, whether it's the right thing to do. Normally, though, I'm a very gut, intuition-orientated person. And if it if it feels right and I recognise the feeling, I go, yeah, let's, let's go for it. <laughs> But I think also it's, it's useful to, to, to say that I think that that calibration to your gut and distinguishing, dis discerning which sensation quality is associated or qualities are associated with which voice is a really interesting practice. For me, if it's if it's a bad gut feeling, it's normally in my stomach. Hmm. And if it's maybe an anxious or excitement, I feel it in my chest. I've noticed so, so different people may feel those feelings different in their body and it's it's to to notice your intuition and where, where you're feeling certain things also it, this isn't an individual practice when if it's a case of oh should I go for this thing having good people around you is so important and those good people that you know are there to support your growth and want to see you do well um without without jealousy without without um any sort of envy or or negativity and asking those people and getting a really good sounding board and having different people from different walks of life 
um, around you is, is so, so important for those decisions that perhaps you sometimes you can't make them by yourself without without yeah no seeking further further clarification or sometimes just someone telling you yes you can is is healthy makes all the difference yeah (laughs) so closing Mm. questions for you then where have I even put them yes here we go so I have two one is a practical one at the end um and the pre-eminent pre-eminent Preeminent is actually uh, the penultimate question, um, which we touched on actually throughout this conversation, is how do you orient yourself towards life and beauty on dark days? That's such a good question. Um, Through kindness to myself, most importantly, but also realising that dark days are never actually dark days. They might be a dark hour. They might be a dark 10 minutes. There might be a dark, I don't know, morning, but they won't they won't stay like that. Faith tackling that emotion, talking to myself and, and thinking, okay, where is this coming from? But then finding joy in the small things. And that could be something as simple as I'm gonna go for a walk and feel the breeze on my skin. It could be that I'm gonna enjoy this first cup of coffee in the morning. But find, finding joy in the small things is is probably what has got me through so much. Just that, just simple, simple thing. Beautiful. Thank you. So, Amy, if people want to learn more about your work, um, where are the different and best places? To <laughs> well, we can go to uh, toagroup.co.uk, which is the the newly launched uh, website for. Uh, TOA Group Consultancy. Uh, we remove well-being barriers to produce high-performing teams. There's the there's the plaque. Brilliant. Um, or uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. That'd be the best place. I um, check it regularly and all of answer all of the messages that I get through on my on my DMs. So yeah, please do. Brilliant. And I'll put links to both the TOA and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Natalie Nahai in conversation. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do pop over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen and give a rating and a review. It really does mean the world to me to read your support and it keeps me going to create more seasons, especially as this is a self-funded project into which we pour hours of work creating, recording, and producing each episode. To find out more about my work and how to get involved in my projects, you can sign up to my newsletter at natalinahai.com, explore additional books and resources at natalinahai.com forward slash resources, and you can follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at natalinahai. My thanks to Caro C for producing, thank you for listening, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.